0: Hey, welcome to episode number 158 of More Than Bread, episode number 158 and Psalm 148. This is our second to last psalm of the series. I'm not doing Psalm 149, 150 is next and 150 is last. And what's next after psalms, you might ask? I am i don't know, I'm really not sure. We'll, we'll do an episode, maybe two episodes on Psalm 150 and then one, maybe two wrap-up episodes on the psalms. Um, So two to four more episodes will bring us to the end of our top 40 Psalms chapter. And after that, well, I have a few thoughts in mind. Maybe Daniel, maybe Joshua, maybe Paul's letters from prison, maybe James, maybe a a tiny break. (laughs) I have to be honest. It it takes more than a small amount of time to put these together. But it's also been good for me. I've spent more time in the Psalms these last few months than I have in the last few years. And and it's been good. It's added some fuel to my prayer life for sure, helped to kind of deepen my vocabulary of prayer. I'll share a bit more about that in the wrap-up. But for now, let's listen to some of the Word of God in Psalm 148. I'm reading from the New Living Translation, and, and just briefly before I read it, let me, let me just connect two words for you. We'll hear them a lot in, in this psalm and Psalm 150. It's the word praise and the word hallelujah. Eleven times in this psalm, you'll hear the word praise, and at the beginning and the end, you'll hear um, praise the Lord, um, praise and praise the Lord. And, and when you don't hear the word praise, it's talking about the people and all of creation that is doing it, that is praising God. But every time you hear it, I want you to think of the word hallelujah, hallelujah. We say hallelujah is one word, but it's actually a compound Hebrew word. It's two words put together. Hallel, that's the praise part. And in fact, it, it literally means a deep kind of boisterous song of praise. Um, And then Yah uh, is God. So hallel and Yah is God, hallelujah. Is praise to God. Hallel is praise. As praise is more like a a cheer or a loud, boisterous song than it is compliments spoken quietly one on one. It's a it's a corporate raise your voice kind of thing. Hallel, yeah, praise God, praise the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Listen as I read, and, and please forgive me if on occasion I say Hallelujah rather than or in addition to praise Him, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him from the skies. Praise Him, all His angels. Praise Him, all the armies of heaven. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all you twinkling stars. Praise Him, skies above. Praise Him, vapors high above the clouds. Let every created thing give praise to the Lord. For He issued His command and they came into being. He set them in place forever and ever. His decree will never be revoked. And in my words, that's the decree of creation, right? He he is the... (laughs) The the quantum theory. He holds everything together. His decree will never be revoked. Praise the Lord, verse 7, from the earth. You creatures of the ocean depths, fire and hell, snow and clouds, wind and weather that obey him, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, wild animals and all livestock, small, scurrying animals and birds, kings of the earth and all people, rulers and judges of the earth, young men and young women, old men and children. Let them all praise the name of the Lord. For his name is very great. His glory towers over the earth and heaven. He has made his people strong, honoring his faithful ones, the people of Israel who are close to him. Praise the Lord. Hallel, Yah. Praise the Lord. Praise the name of God. So Psalm 148 is an invitation to all of creation, right? It's an invitation to join a cosmic hallelujah choir in a boisterous cheer of joy to God. It's it's an invitation to an already started, always ongoing party of praise. And, and it's as all-inclusive as you can get, right? Heavens and earth, angels and people, sun, moon, and stars, mighty mountains and roaring seas, fish and birds, wild animals, and tame livestock, even scurrying little animals. And let's not even name them. <laughs> it's all people, young and old, men and women, kings and servants, Everyone and all things in the entire universe, hallelujah, hallelujah, praise God, praise God's name. Every tongue blended together, every culture, shoulder to shoulder, heart to heart, hallelujah, from the crashing waves to the whispering wind, from the towering trees to the delicate flowers, all of creation resounds and resonates with these cheers of hallelujah, hallelujah. C.S. Lewis once said that the greatest thing the Psalms did for him was to express the joy that made David dance. Did God give us his word to teach us doctrine and theology? Yes, of course. Did he give us his word to guide us in the ways of life? Most definitely. Yes, of course. But are those the only reasons? Most definitely not. I mean, there are words in the Bible, Psalms and letters and stories and truth that I read for the sheer joy and beauty of it. Psalm 148 is one of those psalms filled with hallelujahs, filled with these scenes. Imagine them in your mind of creation, joyful, maybe even playful. Can I use that word playful in the presence of its creator? When the psalms tell us to sing hallelujah to Yahweh, it's not focused on doctrine or guidelines. It's consumed with joy. It's not not related to a, a, a dreadful duty to be endured. It's describing a playful party that is to be enjoyed, I don't know, sometimes I wonder, I wonder if we adopted, as followers of Christ, if if we adopted, at least occasionally adopted the face of a playful partier for Jesus, if that would change our hearts and the hearts of those around us. See, I, I think the psalmist is trying to remind us of what Dallas Willard described as the secret to living. Here's the secret, he said, every longing you have or think you have, every ache in your heart when you think you desire more stuff or more pleasure or more success or or, or to be more attractive, or to have a bigger house, or more applause, what your soul, Willard wrote, what your soul is really crying out for, Jesus says, is for this kingdom of God to come down into your life. And I'm telling you, when the kingdom of God comes, hallelujahs flow, don't they? I mean, it's kind of like eating an amazing meal. The, the meal isn't really finished until you praise the cook. If we have a river of life flowing out of us, shouldn't it show on our faces? Shouldn't our hallelujah sometimes sound like a joyful cheer, a stadium filled with joyful cheer? Shouldn't our praise sometimes be full of play? Can we talk about play for a moment? Because, see, I can't read the praise of Psalm 148 without thinking of all of creation at play. To be honest, this idea of play... (laughs) It has a checkered past in the church. Christians have a long history of being suspicious of play, (laughs) like little children's play. I'm not talking about theater. I'm talking about playing. In fact, the early theologian Augustine believed that conversion to Christianity was a conversion away from play. Even eating was sinful if it was too pleasurable. No more seafood chowder from Kelly's. Lynn's Christmas cinnamon rolls surely would make the sinful list. In fact, the Puritans passed laws. Against the celebration of Christmas, too frivolous, not serious enough. Think about it. Even in our stream of faith, everyone's heard the phrase Protestant work ethic. How many have ever heard of the Protestant party ethic? No one? That a Christian should be a great worker, a blessing to every boss, that's easily defensible. That a Christian should be willing to sacrifice, even suffer for their faith. You've heard me say that. Following Christ is not safe. I've preached that over and over and over again. That a Christian should be known for their love, of course. It almost goes without saying, and too often does. How about no one in the world should be known for their playfulness like followers of Christ? How does that sit with you? Theologian Robert Hodgkins calls us to the serious business of play when he writes, Christians ought to be celebrating constantly. We ought to be preoccupied with parties, banquets, feasts, and merriment. We ought to give ourselves over to veritable orgies of joy because of our belief in the resurrection. We ought to attract people to our faith quite literally by the fun there is in being a Christian. What do you think about that? I remember meeting with a, a group a, a number of years ago, and the group was starting a new ministry, and they had that sense that so many of us have when we're trying to do church. They said, we want to have fun, but we want it to be more than just fun. Can't just be fun. Has to be fun plus. And, and we, we all understand that desire, don't we? We, we want to have fun, but it has to be fun plus. Something else more serious, because, well, God is serious, right? And religion is serious, right? And because we need to grow and learn more and do things that matter. But as I was preparing to meet with this group, the thought occurred to me, I think it was God. (laughs) I hope it was God. I think he was saying, you know, sometimes it's okay if all you do is have fun. I think we need to develop a better theology of play. We need to understand God's doctrine of fun. John Orberg writes, we will not understand God until we understand this about him. God is the happiest being of the universe. God also knows sorrow, but the sorrow of God is a temporary response to a fallen world. The sorrow one day will be banished when the world is set right. But joy, Orberg said, I believe this with all my heart. Joy is God's basic character, his eternal destiny. God is the happiest being in the universe. And I was thinking about that, about play, about fun and games. And and I, I remember once, I've shared this before in church, uh, I was playing with my boys. We were across the street playing basketball at the park and, and kind of seconds, if not milliseconds, it wasn't even minutes for sure, But seconds into playing, I I turn into a coach because it has to be fun plus. Because of course, course, I just want to help them grow and become better basketball players. But, But after a few minutes of coaching, one of them looked at me and said, Dad, can we just play? And when I put the coach aside and just play, it's like I'm saying, man, I just love being with you. No matter how good you are or how good you get, it's not just about making you better. I just get a kick out of playing with you. Listen, before I go any farther, can we be honest? Make an admission, a confession, maybe even repent of it? Play is missing in far too many of our families. Play is missing in far too many of our marriages. We're so busy making a living that we don't take the time to enjoy the life we're making. Don't underestimate the power of play. When someone lets us play, it's like saying, You belong. You don't have to get better. And life is too short to miss the play of praise. I I know, in a world so full of hurry where adults wear busy like a badge of honor, play almost seems irresponsible, like a waste of time, something for kids, someone else's kids, not mine. But But listen, Thanksgiving is not just a holiday. Celebration is not only for when we win. And play is not just for kids. It's an act of worship that is cosmically sourced. In fact, I think play is the natural result of creation. Say, what do you mean, Dan? Well, imagine God doing creation the way most of us approach our jobs. The story in Genesis would sound something like this. In the beginning, it was nine o'clock, so God had to go to work. He pushed his alarm a bunch of times, but finally he got up. Someone had left him a work order to separate light from darkness, so he did that. It wasn't that hard. So he considered making stars to astound people on dark nights and planets to spur on the imagination of future writers. But Nobody asked him to do it, and it sounded like a lot of extra work, so he decided to knock off early and call it a day. And he looked at what he had done and said, eh, could be better, but I guess it'll have to do. On the second day, God separated the waters from the dry land, and he made all the dry land flat and plain and functional so that, behold, the whole earth looked like South Dakota or New Jersey. He he thought about making mountains and valleys and glaciers and jungles and forests filled with trees that would astound people in the fall in Pennsylvania, but he decided it probably wouldn't be worth the effort. The leaves would only stay up for a few days anyway, and God looked at what he had done that day and said, eh, it's okay. Later that week, God made a pigeon fly in the air and a carp to swim in the waters and a cat to creep upon dry ground. He could imagine millions of other species of all sizes and shapes and colors like fish in the cool blue waters of Hawaii, but he couldn't work up any enthusiasm for any other animals. And in fact, he wasn't all that crazy about the cat. (laughs) Besides, he'd found a new show to watch on Netflix, and so God looked at all he had done and said, "Ah, eh, it'll have to do. He breathed a sigh of relief and said, thank me, it's Friday, and he went home to take a nap. I hope you I hope you understand that's not how it went. People who only spend their time looking at Genesis to determine how the world was created miss at least a part of the point. The more important question is why? Why was the world created? And I think it's this, the world was created because God found great joy in creating the world. Don't read the creation story without hearing God's laughter. Every day, God looked at it and roared with mountain-shaking laughter and joy and said, oh, man, that is so good. I am so good. See, God loves wonder and joy and fun. Do you believe that? And if you do, if you really do, has it shaped your view of Christianity? Because it should. And, and you know, if you've been listening to all my other podcasts on Psalms, you know I'm not saying we never go through tough times. Man, we live in a fallen world and bad stuff happens all the time. But a personal relationship with a good, happy creator should rub off, right? I love how the prophet Isaiah describes this happy God in Isaiah 29, 13 through 14. Said the says that, Lord says, these people come near to me with their mouth and they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is made up only of rules taught by men. Therefore, once more, I will astound these people with wonder upon wonder. Did you catch that? God is bummed because people's hearts are all bricked up and their worship is filled with dry rules. There's no joy. There's no fun. There's no wonder. So what does God decide to do? I'm going to astound them. I'm going to prank them. (laughs) I'm going to amaze them with wonder upon wonder. See, listen to this good news. There is a good God who wants to give you joy even in the midst of your pain. And what if today or tomorrow or at least one day this week, instead of doing what you have to do, do what you need to do, go out and play. And that might look different for each one of us. Maybe for you it's go for a walk in the woods or call a friend that makes you laugh. Go for a drive, read a good book, eat your favorite dessert. Two pieces, go fishing with your kids, get out of the Get out the Monopoly game and shut off the TV. Shut off the phone and the social media. That's not play. Unhook the technology and be quiet with God. Make a list of things that astound you. Plan the world's greatest vacation. Play a little. Read, read a children's book. Walk barefoot in the yard. Sit by a fire and look at the stars. Climb a tree. Sneak up behind a friend who is ticklish. <laughs> Sing. Sing a song to God and sing loudly, even if it's off-key. Dance. Dance to a song for God. Some of us might have to do that one in the privacy of our own space, unless you want to help someone else laugh and play. (laughs) Just don't go through life oblivious to the ongoing, already started, playful praise of the cosmic creation. Okay? Listen once more to Psalm 148, this time from Eugene Peterson's The Message. Hallelujah. Praise God from heaven. Praise him from the mountaintops. Praise him, all you, his angels. Praise him, all you, his warriors. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, you morning stars. Praise him, high heaven. Praise him, heavenly rain clouds. Praise, oh, let them praise the name of God. He spoke the word and there they were. He set them in place from all time to eternity. He gave his orders and that's it. Praise God from the earth, you sea dragons, you fathomless ocean deep. Fire and hail, snow and ice, hurricanes obeying his orders, mountains and all hills, apple orchards and cedar forests, wild beasts and herds of cattle, snakes and birds in flight, earths, kings and all races, leaders and important people, robust men and women in their prime, and yes, graybeards and little children. Let them praise the name of God. It's the only name worth praising. His radiance exceeds anything in earth and sky. He's built a monument. His very own people. Praise from all who love God. Israel's children, intimate friends of God. Hallelujah. God, I pray for each and every person who's listening. I pray for some play. I pray for some play. God, I pray that you would give... Give us opportunities today, tomorrow, and the days to come, and the weeks to come to play, whatever that looks like for each and every one of us, to experience it, not alone and not even just with others, but in your presence, with you, to be playful, to be joyful. God, with all of creation, whatever that looks like, would you give us some moments of play in the days to come. God, we thank you. I pray that if if people are listening to this in sequence, then we're coming up on the weekend, and I, I pray, God, for a weekend of play, a weekend where there's some moments of play. God, thank you for your joy. Thank you that you are a God who is created for joy, who has created us for joy. We thank you for all these things. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.